Good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. Later in the program, we'll have one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one, the best way to solve recurring work problems. We're also going to be having our chat with Christina, who's back from Spain, and she's got some very interesting things to talk about with collaboration. But right now, we're going to have our monthly chat with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. Hi, Gillian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us again. So we're going to have a quick chat first of all about the uh, super guarantee amnesty that's resurfaced in Parliament. Yeah, this one was slipped in last week and uh, it came as a bit of a surprise to everyone because if you may remember we spoke about this, the the government introduced um, an amnesty on the 24th of May 2018 Um, but one of the most disgraceful things that I've ever seen, they, they never actually got around to legislating um, of putting the actual, you know, passing of putting the rules in place. So a lot of people sort of jumped in early and, um, and, and yeah, tried to do the right thing and, and pay their the superannuation that they were owed, but they were still um, subject to, well, subject to a lot of penalties. My understanding is the, the ATO actually went a little bit soft on them. The ATO actually put up on their website, um, yep, the amnesty's in, come forward, we won't charge you any penalties. But then they had to take it down because it, it, it was never passed. Yeah. So... Yeah, it was horrible. But anyway, they've reintroduced it. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that if it actually gets through in its current form, um, the amnesty period will start from the 24th of May 2018 and it'll end six months after the day that the bill receives royal assent. So if you did come forward, you're kind of then going to be retrospectively cleansed. <laughs> so, <laughs> And, uh, and if you didn't come forward, then you'll have six months to come to forward and, and take advantage of the amnesty. So, yeah, that's a good thing. We, we want to see superannuation paid into, into the employees' accounts correctly. And superannuation is coming up under microscope again in Parliament generally, isn't it? Uh, well, it is, yeah. It, it, well, it always does. I mean, unpaid super um, amounts to something like $7.2 billion per mm, annum. Yeah. Um, and unpaid PAYG wages amounts to about... Four billion each year, so it's a lot of money that is being uh, missed out, and a lot of employers are just not paying it. So, yeah, with SuperStream, with Single Touch Payroll, you can see, I can see the day coming when an employer employer pays their employee the net pay. They'll pay the PAYG withheld uh, at the same time to the tax office, and they'll pay the superannuation at the same time as well. I think yeah. those days are coming. I was talking to an accountant the other night, and he was amazed how many people still do not know what percentage of superannuation guarantee they have to play, you know, the 9.5%. Yeah, we've, we've picked up some new clients over the years where the payroll system's still working it out at 8% or 8.5%. So, yeah, it's education in these sort of things is a um, is an interesting thing. And In fact, it actually segues to something I, I do want to put on the agenda for you and I to talk about, and that is... Um, this concept of wages theft, which is what the unions mm. are, are calling it. So that that's going to, yeah, I, I want to talk about that at a, in one of your future programs. It's a very interesting topic. Okay. Well, talking about uh, strange cases, we're going to talk about the, the strange case of Hackleton accountants. Yeah, this is a really, um, a really odd one, and it's just one that just made me scratch my head. So everything that we're about to talk about is on the public record, so there's nothing that's confidential um, in this particular case. So there was an accountant called um, Hackleton who had a client called, um, we'll call him Peter, and Hackleton looked after Peter and also Peter's company, a company called Manbead. 
Um, and over the course of about five or six years, he did, Hackleton did the financials and tax returns for Peter and the company. And the, the income that was being declared by Peter was quite low. A couple of years it was nil, a few years it was 25000 a couple of years it was 35000 37000 quite low. Now, he, Peter came up on the ATO radar and they, they put him on a program called um, a Comprehensive Risk Review. And the one question the ATO wanted answered was, how did Peter afford to buy a $3.2 million house and borrow $2.5 million when his income was quite low. Mm. So they started the investigation. They pulled apart his company, his private affairs. There were massive amounts of loan accounts in his company, cash being you know, flung around everywhere. There was a deposit of, in one year of $3.9 million from a, a company that was supposed to have been dormant. So the long story short, the ATO, during the, they, they opened it up to a full audit then, um, and during the course of their audit, they found a lot of income that was not declared. Um, they sent Peter a bill, quite a high bill, with interest and penalties. What then happened over a period of time was the um, the ATO and Peter ended up signing off on a deed of settlement of um, of $1.4 million. There were a few, a few amounts that were being disputed, so they said, look, we'll agree to a payout of $1.4 million, and Peter paid that amount to the tax office. So mm-hmm. that was clear. But what happened in the meantime, Hackleton, in all of the, um, all the, you know, during the course of the audit, spent a lot of time reconstructing financial statements, ended up sending a bill to Peter and the company for $145,000. Now, Peter Tedran said, I'm not paying it um, because you did such a really poor job of, um, of preparing my financial statements. You, you know, should have done a much better job in putting all this together. As a result of, you know, your poor accounting, um, I ended up with an audit and ended up having to pay quite a large tax bill. So the whole thing went to court. And the part, and it gets, it gets bogged down in contract law. So there's three things in contract law that you've got to prove. One is that, or that Peter had to prove. One is that Hackleton owed him a duty of care and everyone agreed that he did owe him a duty of care. The second one is that he breached that duty of care. And then the third thing is that Peter's financial loss was a direct result of the the breach of the duty of care. And quite incredibly, the courts here ended up holding that um, Hackleton did not owe a duty of care to his client because he was not a member of one of the well-known accounting bodies. Mm -hmm. Now... If he was a member of the... So I'm a, I'm a chartered accountant, so I'm a member of um, CAIRNS. So CAIRNS is a, an acronym that stands for Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand. There's another organisation called CPA Australia and there's a third organisation called IPA, the Institute of Public Accountants. Now, anyone who is a member of these three organisations, and I am, we have to adhere to a high professional standard. We have to comply with a lot of ethical standards and we have to do a good job at the end of the day. So mm. that's it. Our, our standards, the bar is set high for us. We've got to do an ethical job. We've got to do a proper job. This guy was not a member of any of those three organisations, so he didn't know a duty of care to... So all of those high lofty standards that apply to everyone else did not apply to Hackleton. So he actually won the case where his now former client owed him $145,000 for doing all of that paperwork. And I read that case scratching my head thinking, what sort of an incredibly mm. terrible message is this to send out 
to the community. Yeah, yeah to, well, to, to, to the unsuspecting community. I mean, as yeah. you just said, some people don't know whether they've got to pay 9% superannuation. How on earth are they going to be, you know, people smart enough to say, well, hang on, who am I dealing with here? Do, do you have a duty of care? Yeah. Um, to me, everyone assumes that Accountant you go to one. get your... That an accountant has a duty of care, and yeah. I, I just think it's a terrible, terrible message to send um, to um, to the community. So I'm kind of tempted. I'm 99 percent committed to to writing a letter to to these organisations to say, look, you know, you can't allow this to happen. I, I think if you hold yourself out, you charge a fee for preparing a tax return and financial statements. You need to get that person to belong to a member. Um, of one of those associations have yeah. a, a practicing certificate and therefore they are covered with PI insurance, professional indemnity insurances. Um, otherwise, you're essentially asking everyone in the community to, you know, buyer beware, what is it, a caveat emptor, be careful who, you, who you're dealing with and, um, you know, leave it up to them to go and find someone who's actually, um, you know, pro- properly registered. Is this a recent case or is it, I mean, is it going to yeah, be challenged? Yeah, very recent. Yeah, very recent. Uh, um, well, it was, it was, uh, actually, it was a year ago. It was um, April mm. 18, although it actually only just um, came up on our radar in um, September last month. Mm. Um, maybe maybe all of the appeals were exhausted. That's probably why. Well, but it was, decided, yeah, it was decided in New South Wales District Court. So, mm. um, But it just came up on our radar in last month's you know, tax update. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be appealed. But as I say, it's a, um, it's a very... It's a warning to people. <laughs> It's a big warning, and, and yeah. I think you know one, one accountant friend of mine read it and said, "Yeah, well, it looks like um, it was a, a poorly argued case by the by the lawyers." And I thought, mm. "Well, yeah, it may have may have oh, it, okay. it may have been, but it still sends a terrible message out." It does, so. it does. Mm. Well, thanks for that information. We're in the buyer beware, and we better make sure that uh, our accountants are fully qualified. Deal with the ethical ones. We'll come back with you uh, next month. Okay. Talk, yep. Look hey. forward to it. Thanks, Thank Julian. you. Bye bye. Tony Vidro there with one well, interesting case, isn't it? And we often, uh, we just assume a person has got qualifications. We need to uh, just confirm that they are covered by that duty of care. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well. I'm glad we got you now. I was a bit <laughs> concerned we weren't going to get you today. Yeah, technology. Love it when it works. Thought we were going to miss out again. <laughs> uh, no, not today. So you were over in Spain last week and you were at one of these uh, conferences with uh, uh, looking with well, a lot of women, wasn't it? And, and we're talking yeah. about collaboration today. Yeah, we are. So what I witnessed last week was a massive collaboration between men and women around from actually around the globe um, trying to uplift Spain and the women startup community in Spain. Uh, and there's, there's quite a strong startup community in Spain, um, the Spanish economy, you know, up and down. Yeah. Uh, but what they're trying to do is, is lift um, their profile as a startup community, and it's really working. So there were 500 people in this auditorium. There probably would have been 100 people... Um, either on panels or volunteering. The panels were enormous. There was so much knowledge and so much um, wisdom in that room. And I just thought I might share some of that with you because this is the beauty of collaboration. So not only not only is this, um, this wisdom that was in the room universal and global, but it's also the fact that when a lot of people get together 
amazing change is possible. So, for example, we had Margaret Chen, who's CEO of China-Spain Innovation Ventures, um, and we were talking about the transformation of the Asian woman from a family woman to an industrial leader uh, because what has happened um, in the Asian market is that women are actually stepping up and being recognised as more than just the family woman that they that they were once perceived as, and they're, and they're becoming very successful um, leaders in, in the areas. Irene Perurina, who's Executive Vice President um, Foundation Panama. So Panama is actually the second country in Latin America to guarantee that women have a place in government organisations. Uh, and what they did, they said about they had massive um, talks with government organisations, educational institutions, um, in order to pass policy. So policy has had a lot to do um, the collaboration between universities, government organisations, um, high-end um, corporates have meant that, that changes have happened in different areas. Yanira Brana, who's president of BID, um, Chile and Colombia have got high numbers of female entrepreneurs. They've put so many processes um, and entrepreneurship ecosystems together and it's having a massive effect in the Americas. So what we're seeing globally is a lot of people collaborating together to create change globally. So all these all these um, areas, improvements, were happening because of different collaborations in different areas, but all of a sudden you've got all these people coming together to help Spain. So imagine the potential that we have in Australia where mm. we are well-educated and we have, you know, we've got, we've got such a great level starting point. Um, and some of the conversations we've been having with government, with government organisations and universities lately has been around what if instead of competing for the same territory, what if each organisation took a specialty? So what if somebody, you know, one university was in charge of medical innovation and another university was in charge of, um, you know, environmental education or innovation? And we split it around so that instead of one university being in charge of environment, medicine, you know, trying to aim for all the areas of expertise, what if we spread that round a little bit and we created 12 centres, 14 centres, whatever it was, um, of expertise and we had like minds gathering there, but that's not going to be the end of it because we also know that in order for great things to happen, we need a diversity um, of thought in a room, particularly when we're problem solving. So if we actually then brought those 12 areas of expertise together to collaborate on different areas um, and different problem solving matters, the power of that collaboration, the power of the diversity and the power of alternate thinking would actually, you know, be really great for Australia to put us on a global, you know, even more so mm. on a global map mm. um, as far as innovation and raising our ecosystem and our diversity and our gender parity, etc. Great. Well, uh, we've run out of time now, but uh, thank you very much. That's a great, great concept, and uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with you some more about that because it seems to be an, a venture that we can push further. We can, and conversation's great. Thanks a lot, Julian. Have a uh, great week. You too, Christina, there, with the collaboration that uh, she experienced over in Spain. We can certainly use that over here. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. We've just got time for our Harvard Business Review tip. And this particular one, the best way to solve recurring work problems. Problems at work tend to be repetitive. No one complains because their boss was angry one time or a colleague failed to pitch in once. The next time you're in familiar noxious work setting where someone is doing the same thing as usual. Uh, try something different. Improvise. 
break the routine. For example, if you have an employee who is chronically late to meetings and reprimanding her or him in the past hasn't solved the problem, the next time he or she's late, stop the meeting and praise her or him for all that she's doing right. Everyone will be caught off guard and it may actually resolve the problem once and for all. By introducing unfamiliar dynamic, you encourage your counterpart to respond differently in turn. It's an interesting point, isn't it? We do often have those problems that keep on and on and on. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the Super Guarantee Amnesty and that strange case of Hackleton's accountants and collaboration with Christina. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to revisit your business health check. We're going to have a look at part two with Rani Garner from Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Till then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Socrates once said, the secret of change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.